0: <laughs> Alright, so, sorry, I just, it's, it's enemy mine, it's enemy mine, what do you want from me? This might actually be the, the, the shortest one we've done, the shortest video we've done so far. There's been a couple of short ones. It's hard to talk about an episode like this because it's so derivative that I'm just turning it like, okay. Like, I enjoy a decent enemy mind story, but this, you, you gotta change it up a little bit, you know? And frankly, I liked the enemy better. The enemy, back in TNG, Geordie, Romulan. Yeah, so, Tusker, Tusker? Tucker? Is like, alright, I got this. He's testing the autopilot, which makes perfect sense. That's why he's testing it in a dangerous area with the main engineer, engineer on board the shuttle and not an adjacent shuttle pod, and Enterprise is nowhere nearby. Then, an enemy scout ship shows up and tries to destroy him because territorial aliens are territorial. That's why later, when they show up, they immediately try to contact Enterprise rather than firing on sight. Okay. So, of course, this explains why Tucker is on the ship, because he can fix things. If it wasn't Tucker, we would need someone else who had engineering status in order to be able to fix things in order to have the episode happen. By the way, the fact that it's an engineer makes me laugh even more because of the aforementioned the enemy back in TNG. Anyways. So the Arconians who are here to destroy a vessel violating our territory and blah blah blah. You know, hang on. A lot of these notes are just whatever. I have two things to say about this scene. First of all, this is the first time I've seen Archer be diplomatic. Now I know what you're thinking, Lord, he's kind, of a, he's, he's kind of abrasive, and he's against the Arconians, and he's insisted on getting his own person. In fact, at one point in the episode, he pretty much flat out says, I'm going to pull you out, and the other guy can go burn. This is still the most diplomatic archer's been so far, and the biggest reason why is when he talks with the other captain. You don't like me, I don't like you. You want me to leave. I am not leaving until I get my crewman. Your crewman is also missing. If we split the load, we can find you quicker. If we do that, we will be able to save your crewman, possibly save ours, and in so doing, we will leave sooner. Deal? Now, obviously, that doesn't apply to everyone, and that doesn't work with everyone, even amongst a particular species, Star Trek notwithstanding. But that is actually being diplomatic. It is the form of trying to negotiate some kind of common ground in between the two sides. And he does it. Holy crap. (laughs) Now, I want you to remember that for later, because I'm going to complain about that, too. But then, well, this leads me to my second thought. Can a captain declare war? Would a captain declare war to save a crewman? Should a captain declare war to save a crewman? Now you're probably thinking, Laura, captains can't declare war. So, first of all, I'm not sure I agree with that. I'm pretty sure that there are plenty of circumstances when one captain, acting even outside of jurisdiction, is more than capable of getting a conflict going. We've actually seen plenty of examples of this across Star Trek. Never mind real life. We've also seen captains who prevent war, so that's neat too. But the second point is, you remember that idea I posited some time ago about the captain being an aspect of the state, like an actual officiate of the state? Now, obviously, that's not true in modern Trek, because it can't be. There's hundreds, if not thousands, of captains flying around in hundreds, if not thousands of ships. It doesn't really apply the same way, but the rules are different here in this prequel era. You've got, everything's of a different mentality because you've got this one ship out there which is effectively operating on behest of Earth. Frankly, given his political connections, he is, like it or not, operating on the behalf of his government. And the decisions he is making reflects those of his government. So, no, I I think under this exact circumstance, it is entirely feasible for Archer to declare war or peace, and I think that's something that, well, honestly, I kind of think they should do more of in Enterprise. I I know, I know, season three, season four, but you, you get the idea, and you get where I'm coming from on this, right? So, this then leads to my earlier questions. Under those auspices, would they, should they declare war? on a hostile alien power, to save their crew, or an an individual crewman? I'm not going to give any answers there. I'm curious what you think on that. Just food for thought. Anywho, so uh, there's this wonderful line, which I I actually wrote down later. One piece of good news, it's warming up a bit, because remember there's this bit where they, they mention that he's cold and he's having trouble adapting. Okay, cool. You notice the reptilian dude seems to be doing better in, at night than during the day. Sure. <laughs> you know, I hate to repeat myself because I've talked about this several times when it comes to Star Trek in particular, but also real life. You can communicate to someone without using words. It's possible. It is more than feasible to do. I, of course, have shared the Arby story several times, but even since then, I've been able to communicate with people who either don't know my language or I can barely understand them just with simple and quick, efficient gestures. It's it's a whole study, and I admit I find communication as a concept fascinating, since there are so many ways we talk without ever using our words. So they could do this in this episode, and they don't, of course they don't. They almost never do that on Star Trek. you know, you know what Star Trek commu- lack of communication boils down to? Yelling at the other person in their na- native language with absolutely no clues as to what they're saying other than their tone. In fact, at several points, uh, Tucker actually says, "You know, "Hi,, I don't know what you're saying!" Now, divorce the language from that. So all you're left with is, "Hi Yara!" at which point that sounds antagonistic or hostile and might be considered something an enemy would say. Instead, by sheer magical coincidence, the guy understands, okay, I'll unbind you so you can work on the thing for me. What? This is actually part of what irritates me. This, I, I, I don't mean to, to show, throw shade at the writing here. Uh, this is a somewhat more rare writer of Enterprise. He did um, Minefield few episodes ago. He'll be doing some episodes in the future. And this is... They just understand each other because the plot needs to move forward. So, whatever. Um, by the way, uh, Greg Henry, the guy who plays him, he played Gallatin back in Insurrection. Just a little anecdote there. He does a decent job of portraying the alien, and I will give the edit cre- the episode credit. The aliens are decently alien. They have different water. They have different food, they have different temperature requirements, they have different fit, you know, movement ticks. I want to give a lot of the credit for his performance, actually, to Roxanne Dawson, who is the director of this episode, because he would do things with his body language, which weren't typical human, several times. And it, it helped with the overall performance, I think. So credit where credit is due to actor or director or both. So Trip spills the water after trying to heal it, or drink it, excuse me, doesn't work out that well. I'm not sure what he thought drinking a random bit of liquid. <laughs> liquid, I stress, from someone. That could have just as easily been alcohol. In real life, there are several circumstances where the emergency rations of water are actually booze. Now, you might think, oh, ha-ha, drink it up, but actually having alcoholic drink, I mean, that's going to stay good longer, right? Under worse circumstances. <laughs> I'm just saying. But no, from the way that, uh, I don't remember his name, the Gallatin actor, Greg Henry's character, acts, he's, it's clearly water, it's something precious and not to be spilled, so, you know, Tucker spilling it, well, that's, that's great for diplomatic relations. Also, he's got healing spit. He spits on his arm, and the wound just heals itself. Okay, I'm not even going to begin to talk about how nonsense that is, because later on in the episode he spits in Tucker's eyes and it distracts him temporarily. That's it. If you guys have taken one thing away from me analyzing and dissecting fiction for the last ten years, as of when this video is going live, nine years from my perspective, consistency. If you're going to use some made-up nonsense tech, You establish the rules for it, and then you follow them. So, healing spit distraction doesn't really line up for me. It's a minor thing, but you can see why it's just dragging the... Little things like this drag the episode down. This also leads to a couple of things. No food, no water. Uh, Tucker tricks him. Okay, that's neat. Uh, Archer gets upset because the, uh, the Arconians could have called in more ships to help with the search, and he's so pissed off that they didn't call in more ships. That's bad diplomacy. That's Archer being a moron right there. He's upset because he's trying to find Trip. Sure. He's not good at being a captain. Okay. Well, like I said, we're, we've kind of established both of these character points already. But them pulling in pulled more ships just means they're more likely to try and shoot at you until you leave. Right? Honest, let's Because let's be honest... Probably the single biggest reason why the enemy ship, and yeah, I'm going to call them that because they're effectively the enemy right now, didn't decide to just open fire on you when you said you weren't leaving, was because you were probably a match for them. So don't just kind of put more guns into the enemy's camp, okay? Anywho, so they mentioned it's going to get to 170 degrees, which is about 338 degrees Fahrenheit, and that's awful. And I noticed at this point that I was only halfway through the episode. Once again, the episode just... Drags onwards. So they fight. I have nothing to say about the fight. Um, Then Tucker does the very first time where he actually performs legitimately good non vocal communication. You know what it does? Picks up the gun, points it at him, and then throws it over the hill. That's good communication. You are at my mercy, and I am throwing that away, because I need to work with you. That is a huge thing right there, and immediately and apparently understandable under the circumstances by both people. That's good. What was that earlier, Trip? Come on, man. So, then, you, you, you remember Channel Pod 1? I do, because it's still my favorite episode to date. One of the things they did that was very smart is they didn't show Enterprise coming to save them, and they didn't show Enterprise like, oh, God, we got to find them, which they could have done, and Star Trek has done that several times. Uh, So they do that here. They, They do it wrong. They show Enterprise being like, oh, my God, it's them. We need to find them. Quick, let's go to them. I wouldn't have done basically any of that. I think it hurts the episode, and it hurts the drama of it. But more to the point, it also hurts any form of tension. We know at that point, that the only dilemma is the interaction and the diplomatic connection with the Arconians, not whether or not he's going to be rescued. But because we know that, the rescue itself suddenly loses any significance. However, I will give this to Trinier and Roxanne Dawson. His speech about how he doesn't regret dying on this random moon in the middle of nowhere is actually a pretty good speech, because he's done so many things with his life that he felt it was Worth it. I wonder how many people in real life would say that if they died, you know, right now, it was worth it, that that, that their life was worth living. I wouldn't. You don't have to answer whether you would or not. That's a little personal. It's just interesting to think about. And he does a great job of of presenting it, because Trenier's awesome. He's one of my favorite actors on this show. Two things before we cut off. First, Archer is right, because this is so stupid. I get it. Archer was diplomatic. I even praised that. Remember? Said we'd call back to it. But the problem here is that Archer is portrayed as being better than the Vulcans in a passive sort of narrative sense. You have accomplished in two days what the Vulcans have not managed in a century. You get all the credit. Voyager did this a lot. Where even in an episode that wasn't really about her... Or wasn't really focused on her. It turns out vo- that Janeway was right. Or that Seven learns a lesson. That's another thing they did in a similar manner. And it's just its just eyebrow rolling. Yes, eyebrow rolling. It's much harder to do. Yeah. The second thing. Why is the Enemy Mind scenario so interesting? Obviously this goes back to that film I can't think of the name of right now. It's a World War II bit. Uh, with a Japanese soldier. American soldier, I believe. And it's, it's a good flick. I haven't watched it in an extraordinarily long amount of time. I haven't seen that since I was a kid. But I remember it fondly. And of course there's Enemy Mine, the novel. And then there's Enemy Mine, the movie, which was based off of that. And the concept has snuck its way into fiction in many ways. Which is good. It's a good concept. But why is it so engaging? If I might be so bold, I think part of what's so interesting about it is because it's optimistic without being saccharine, right? The idea that two enemies under dire circumstances can learn to overcome their differences and work together, that's a strong message. In fact, to be 100% blunt, that's human society in a nutshell. No, really. Individuals are in competition for resources, but then they band together. But now we have tribes which are in competition, but then they band together. But now we have cities that are, you get where I'm going with this. The idea of cooperation being a development, a progression of sentient and sapient life is an idea that appeals to me tremendously, ignoring the fact that I believe in that concept, you know, for lack of a better way to put that. Um, But So I think that's part of the appeal. But the other part of the appeal, I think, is just it's so relatable. Hear me out for a second. Let's say two nobles are forced into a dire circumstance and are forced to work together. Do you think they would? What about two corporate heads? Two emperors? You probably already see where I'm going with this. Because, while I'm sure there are some circumstances where that could work out, truth be told, I feel like those types of people, the upper crust, are less likely to actually get along with each other because not only do they have more of a stake in hating each other, but they are... I'm trying to think how to say this without saying they're stupider. They're... They have less in common. There we go. They have a lot less in common and a lot more to lose if they decide to cooperate with this person. Now take two grunts, two gropos, two crewmen, or men. Or workers in a field, or geeks who watch Star Trek, you get where I'm going with this. The idea being that the ground level of you it know, the ground level is part of what makes it so relatable. We have so many stories in real life history of a soldier and a soldier, or however many numbers it's not always just one to one, but soldiers finding that they have surprisingly common ground with each other. Because they're people, down-to-earth, ground-level people, who care about the same general concepts, even though their cultures and their languages and their upbringings are different. We are more united. We are more... How do I phrase this? We are more alike than we are not. Now, I don't want us to all be the same. That would just be homogenization. You know, that would just be a giant, unending slate of gray. But we can be unified because of how many things we have working for us together without necessarily being carbon copies of each other. And that is the enemy mind concept in a nutshell. Two people who are enemies, who nevertheless have enough similarities and enough desire to work together to cooperate, and the result being a good one. I don't know. What do you think? Either way, this episode is very, very bland. I I hate to say that after all that speech. It's got good performance by Trenir. It's got good performance by Greg Henry. It's got good directing by Roxanne Dawson. But this this is exactly the definition of average. If I did decide to codify this, which I probably will not, this would be the definition of a nation. Because, ugh. Now, if I'm not mistaken with my timing, we're we're nearing the end of the year here, uh, which also means that we're nearing the end of my particular recording cycle here. So I hope you've been enjoying as we've been going through Enterprise. I'm actually hoping to be in a different studio uh, when we start the stuff that's going to be happening in January, which, from your perspective, will just be another week. But for me, that's going to be a bit of a gap. Nevertheless, I do hope this has been enjoyable. I hope I've been doing my job properly. I'll see you next time, guys.